books and all the podcasts and all the events I've been to, find the first deal kind of <laughs> changes the whole thing. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Bradley Labrie, and today I want to talk about the podcast sponsor, Rentometer. Whether you already have an established rental business or analyzing your first rental deal, you know that getting the rent right is crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why the go-to source for rent data is Rentometer. Property investors and property managers rely on Rentometer because it is the fastest and easiest way to access quality rent data for addresses and neighborhoods anywhere in the United States. You can also research current, local comps, trends, and property data. Don't take our word for it. Rentometer analyzes over 500,000 rents per month and gets rave reviews from customers. My property manager, myself, and my clients all use Rentometer anytime we are looking to purchase a new property to know exactly what we can get for our properties. Go to Rentometer.com today to get your seven-day free trial and save up to 60%. Grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer. Real quick before we start the show, we wanted to thank you so much for being a part of the house hacking success community in 2020. And our goal in 2021 is to grow the community even bigger. We wanna be able to connect you with house hackers, investors, private money, realtors, lenders, property managers, everything you will need to succeed. So our one ask of you is to please, please rate and review the podcast, help us grow and help us connect you with people. And our free gift to you, if you go to househackingsuccess.com, you can get our free book. It outlines everything you need to know from lending to, to getting the right tenants, to, to analyzing the deal that you have in your particular market. So go to househackingsuccess.com. We'll get a free book to you. But again, we just want to thank you so much for being a part of this community. And in 2021, connect with us so that we can help connect you to the people in your market. Welcome to House Hacking Success. Today, we have a unique story. We have Manny here. He is a part of the HHS community. He went through the course and he just got through his first house hack. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that and then just the struggles and some of the highs and lows of being a first time house hacker. So Manny, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely, man. Well, let, let's start out from the beginning. What what intrigued you about real estate and what made you want to go down the rabbit hole of house hacking? So I'm actually in real estate for my everyday job. I am an acquisitions coordinator and a closing coordinator for a uh, investment, uh, real estate investment company. And for the longest time, you know, on my social media handles, on my Facebook page, I have, you know, real estate investor because that's what my company does. But I wasn't an investor myself and, it, you know, it really bugged me. And so I was trying to figure out a way to, you know, finally get property so that I can actually, you know, actually be an investor. And I came across uh, the house hacking course and it just really intrigued me to the point that, you know, buying a house and almost getting cash flow right away is something that's possible. And that's kind of what pushed me towards it. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that's that's awesome. And uh, so let's go into that first deal. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about it. Tell us about uh, the financing you got on it. What intrigued you about the property and then just kind of the process of buying your first one? Sure. Uh, so I ended up doing FHA and the property itself. Originally, I I had my heart set on a duplex probably a mile from here. And it was for, I want to say, 170, uh, which isn't too bad. But 
I kind of had my heart set on that. I was watching it for a while. I didn't get my financing in order and it ended up selling. And so then I, you know, went back to some of the properties my agent had sent me and she had sent me this property and I started looking into it and, you know, saw that it was a pretty unique property and I really liked it. So I looked it up on the MLS and sure enough, it was pending, (laughs) which was kind of a disappointment at first, but it had fallen out of pending before. So I decided to keep watching it uh, for maybe two weeks and then it fell out of pending back to active. And I had my agent request a viewing. And after the viewing, within a few days, I made an offer and uh, was able to lock it up. Do you know why they uh, kept falling out of pending? Was there something um, that you guys found out in inspection or was it just people... Uh, getting cold feet. Uh, it was every the two people actually had it, and it fell out of pending status due to their financing. Okay, um, so it wasn't anything with the property. Um, the only thing that had come up with the property was some peeling paint on the garage uh, with the appraiser. So it was nothing like that. It was just their financing didn't work out. So, so t- tell uh, tell everyone how you uh, uniquely uh, plan to actually make money. On this property and tell them about, uh, you know, you have a garage on the property, you have a house, and then you have uh, a, an additional dwelling uh, behind it, a two bedroom. Tell them kind of the the numbers behind it and how you actually plan to make money while you live there. It's a three bed, one bath with a basement that I'm currently sitting in. Um, and this is where I plan to live. I have a roommate moving in in December. And then down the line, I'll probably get another roommate. Uh, there is room in the basement to make another bedroom. So it'll be like a four bed just to kind of spread everybody out. So we're not all stuck. Um, all three of us in this small house. And then I have a garage. I have a larger shed. And then in the back, it's on an acre of land. So in the back, there's a two bed, one bath on the property. It was rented when I first bought the property. The tenant has since moved out, so I'm in the middle of giving it a refresh, and then I'll place a tenant that will hopefully pay off my mortgage um, while I'm just getting extra cash flow from any roommates that I get. What are you thinking as far as rent? So you're looking at renting out by the bedroom, I'm assuming, and then renting out the property that's in the backyard. As far as rent, what do you think you're going to get per bedroom? And then when you're fully rented, are you going to be able to live for free? Are you going to cash flow? Um, How does that look? Rent in the back, the, the tenant that was there actually was paying only 500 a month for a two bed. Um, he worked in Chicago, could jump on the expressway that's a block away. And so he was, you know, he was, he had it made. Um, but he decided he wanted to save up for a house himself. So he's going to move in with some people, which, you know, great for him. Um, but after the refresh, I'm going to try to rent it out for 800, 825, which will already be more than my mortgage payment. My mortgage payment is just under 800. And then each roommate, um, I want to average around 400. Um, and so with two roommates, that'll be another, you know, $800 minus utilities and, you know, any small costs, I should be mm. cash flowing a pretty good, a pretty decent amount. I would say over 600 for sure. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, you look at a lot of house hacks and like the big thing is living for free, but you're actually profiting while you're living there. I don't know. What were you paying in rent or uh, mortgage? Like what were you paying in rent before you moved in there? I was paying 500 a month. Uh, so, okay. So yeah, not only am I getting rid of that. Yeah, for yeah, sure. But that's yeah. massive. And it sounds like that's probably going to be about a thousand dollar swing. 
you know, and you 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 uh, project that out over ten or or so years, and that's a dramatic upswing for you in wealth building, um, and then being within the industry as acquisition manager, um, and and sort of uh, already understanding the background of of real estate. I'm sure this will inspire you into the future to sort of begin either building a portfolio or at least uh, you know continue to build wealth over time. That's that's kind of the plan. I see, you know, fix and flips go on, and I see turnkeys get sold, and that's kind of the model that my company does. Um, but I've never really had an interest in fixing and flipping multiple houses. Mm-hmm. I want to be a buy and hold investor. Yeah. I want to build a portfolio, and that's kind of the direction I'm going to head. Uh, yeah. So yeah, definitely over the next ten years, I definitely want to get you know a few of them at least just to kind of get my feet wet. I'm still pretty young, so I still have time before, you know, um, I'm glad I started now, you know, I don't want to start at the age of 50 or, you know, older where, you know, it's a little bit hard, not harder to get into the game, but, you know, everybody kind of has their life set already and their perception and their mindset set. And it's a lot harder to get into it, I would say. Um, but yeah, definitely my, my plan is to build a portfolio. So let's speak to somebody who's was in your position a year ago. You know, last November, you were kind of starting to uh, formulate a plan, and and then this spring, you started to execute on it. What would you tell someone um, that you know starting to get intrigued by real estate, and maybe they found house hacking, maybe they found this podcast? You know, kind of the things that were a little bit of objections uh, to get into this. Uh, you know, what would you just tell to them? I would say one of the things that I I kind of held off on for a while was getting my financing in order. And that's obviously, you know, one of the biggest pieces. Um, and it was for no other reason than I was scared to find out what I would be approved for, um, which ended up being quite a bit more than I could have imagined. Um, just that holding me back um, stalled me. Um, I mean, it worked out in the end. I could be in a total different property, total different situation looking at less money. So it worked out in the end, but so many people are probably missing an opportunity, just waiting around instead of actually putting something into action. You know, I had bought the the course and I didn't listen to it for a while. And then one night I just threw it on and it kind of motivated me. And I was like, you know what, I need to get this financing done, called a lender the next day. And I was like, you know, I need to get on top of it. So I would say one of the biggest thing is make sure you know, to get your lending in order. And then from there, just follow the whole course through and really, really kind of, um, I don't want to say nitpick, but, you know, grab what you think will work for you. Obviously, everybody's situation is going to be unique. Not everything you all say will work for everybody. And I don't think that's what you had in mind. You just knew there were certain tips you were going to give that would help somebody. So um, yeah, definitely financing in order and then see what situation is going to work for you and you know, go from there. Yeah. And going back to kind of my situation when I was younger, when I was first getting started, for some reason, I had this idea that lenders uh, were almost like out to get me. And so like, I, I would I would like hide things or wouldn't tell my full situation or wasn't all the way transparent. And then what I've found over the course of the last seven or eight years, and now uh, interacting with eight, uh, with lenders every single day with on behalf of my clients and things of that nature is that Lenders are actually on your side and, and are, are there to help you uh, and being proactive and transparent and, fig, you know, getting the whole uh, view 
conversation and trying to be trying to trying to create options. You know, where you had spoken to us before the show saying that at one point, one lender said that you weren't going to be able to get FHA and you're trying to get 203K, uh, which is the renovation side of FHA. But because of the uh, pandemic, that that part of it sort of shut down for a little while. And we saw a lot of that as well. Um, But being able to have options and going into it proactively uh, and building your credit and being transparent and, and letting them give you advice, I think is probably the number one tip anyone can take away from it, you know, and, and starting early and, and getting options and finding a great lender is, is potentially one of the top pieces of this whole puzzle. I think a lot of people get stuck on, you know, how to find that lender and when to engage. And also the fact that, um, not every lender is going to give you the same, um, rates or the same deals. Um, you might find a lender that's willing to do, for example, less than 15% on a duplex. There are lenders that will do it, but most of them are going to tell you that you can only do 15% down. So uh, you can talk to a couple different lenders, uh, kind of weigh your options and see what they can get you. But a lot of people get stuck on just finding that lender. For me, it was my real estate agent referred me to a lender. I ended up being great. Everything went well. How did you find that lender, Manny? I looked at a few from clients that we had, our company, houses we had sold okay. to people, uh, grabbed a few names and uh, reached out to a couple of them. The one that was the most responsive and really just fit my situation. I was able to do FHA, only 3.5% down. You know, it just worked out perfect. The other the other ones were expecting um, conventional, 20% down. That kind of was where they were headed. Uh, so it just, it just worked out to where the one that was going to cost me the least upfront money is kind of where I went. I kind of want to go back to, you know, closing on the deal in the house uh, since you did an FHA loan. Uh, how did the seller respond to the FHA loan? I think there's kind of like a stigma that, you know, um, sellers aren't going to accept FHA loans because sometimes it requires a certain amount of maintenance before they can sell the property. Usually paint, uh, chip paint is the biggest one I hear, but was there any, uh, fixes that the seller had to do and was he very open to doing the FHA? So actually the first thing I was told was they do not want FHA. <laughs> um, they have it listed as cash or conventional. Um, they already had two people fall out of financing. And so they mentioned from the beginning, you know, they weren't interested in someone who was doing FHA. I think because it fell out a second time and, you know, with the whole pandemic going on, everything kind of slow at the time for them, at least they kind of allowed it. And my lender was pretty, pretty quick to, um, respond and kind of give the go ahead that this this works fine for FHA. And so I think that maybe pushed them over the edge to allow it. But they for sure in the beginning, like you said, a lot of sellers aren't looking for that. And they definitely were against it in the beginning. And a tip on that, uh, that I've seen a lot of people overcome this situation uh, right now is that, you know, 3.5% down, right? I I don't know what the purchase price was, but if it was you know, a hundred thousand, if it was 200,000, you're looking at either uh 3,500 or 7,000, basically your need to bring as a down payment plus the closing costs and tax and insurance and all that. Um, so one, one thing, you know, that I've advised clients of mine and, and other people is that, you know, listen, the earnest money, the deposit that you put down up front, um, you're going to need to bring uh, that level of money at some point. Anyway, if you're able to, and willing to put that earnest money deposit up front, and of course, you still have your protection period if you do an inspection and things of that nature. But if you put that money uh, up front, it makes it 
so such stronger offer to the seller, knowing that this person is is into it. You know, they're what they're ready to go. Uh, my wife and I just bought a property um, recently, and we put an incredibly strong EMB down, um, and we we beat out several people, and we got it for a lower price than pretty much everyone else around us. And so, you know, that for me is one of the top tricks because if you can show someone how serious you are, right? And and it, as long as nothing uh, happens during inspection period, you're going to move forward, right? And you also have the protection with an FHA that if the lender can't, for whatever reason, execute the loan, you also get that money back, right? So there are, there are two contingencies within that offer for you generally, inspection and mortgage. Uh, but outside of those two things, you're going to close and you're going to need to bring that money anyway. You know, so putting that money up front can can show a seller that, wow, this person is serious um, and he's not like everyone else that brings FHA that might be, you know, on the edge or, or sometimes people get the illusion that FHA borrowers are are lower scale borrowers. Um, you know, you can you can show right up front. I'm serious. I'm ready to go. We're going to close on this. You know, and that's been a trick that has helped a lot of people. So, Manny, when you moved into this house, I mean, or when you did the showing, whatever it was, did you look around and see like stuff that you're going to want to immediately improve uh, before you start bringing tenants in? For the smaller house, there was a few um, very small things. I just had the carpets cleaned, still weighing whether I'm going to do some stuff to the bathroom. But it's nothing that would stop anyone from moving in. Um, I definitely think I can still get the rent I'm looking for. As far as a larger house, uh, flooring was kind of the biggest thing in this house. It was it was quite a mess. They had carpet over hardwood. It just kind of ruined the hardwood. So I got that taken care of already. Um, and then the rest is just kind of cosmetic updates that I'll choose to do just because I want the house to look a certain way, but it's nothing that would sure. stop anyone from moving mm-hmm. in. Um, roof, furnace. You know, all that was great condition, kitchen cabinets, countertop are good. A lot of flooring um, was not the greatest, which I already got taken care of most of it. The bathroom was newly remodeled. So um, for the most part, it, it was in really, really good condition. Well, let's transition, Manny. We are the second part of the show. We're going to sort of allow you to ask us questions um, questions maybe you had before, questions that maybe other people had, and and uh, I know you wanted to ask us some directional questions as well. So uh, go ahead, man. Sure. As far as, um, I guess, other deals that you've seen or you all have helped with, uh, what have you seen has kind of been the biggest like sticking point, I guess, or the hurdle that everyone's had to kind of get over to go forward with the house hack? The reason why real estate, to begin with, is uh, sort of a safe place to park money is because it has a barrier to entry, right? And a lot of other investments uh, do not have barrier to entry. You don't have to have a certain amount of capital. You don't have to have a certain credit score. You don't have to go through the whole underwriting process to buy a stock, right? And you don't have to do any of that on the backside to sell a stock, right? So that the one thing that uh, intrigues people to the stock market is the liquidity of it. You can hold as much Apple stock as you want but the second that you you know want to uh, liquidate that to go somewhere else or whatever, spend the money, you can hit sell on that account as long as it's not an inve- uh, investment or a retirement account, right? You can sell it and take that money out. The reason that real estate, uh, you know, is a very safe place to park money historically is that it takes so long to sell a property, right? And there is such a uh, 
barrier to entry. So I think the first thing is that, you know, the, the kind of sticking point, the thing that is a barrier to people is their understanding of financing and what they need to bring. And a lot of people uh, think of it as, you know, that, that they need 20% down. You know, a lot of, a lot of lenders will say that about multi-units. And I know lenders said that to you or um, that they won't qualify or that they don't, there isn't a plan for them to get there. Uh, maybe in their family, um, no one has bought a property before, so they're unfamiliar with the process and it's intimidating, which it is. It can be because it's sort of, uh, you know, no one talks about it. You don't talk about it over, you know, dinner at the dinner table. Um, and so I think that process is, is very intimidating, the lending process, uh, getting a mortgage. Um, and I think that is sort of the initial point where people intimidated. And then secondly, beyond that, I mean, for the most part, this is the largest uh, purchase people make is a property, right? So it's super intimidating. And so in that course, uh, the, the thing that we try to hammer down is that rock stars hang with rock stars. And so generally speaking, like Drew said, Drew's a real estate agent uh, referred him a lender. And from my own experience, people that are really good in this industry, they do not, they hate, they despise working with people that are mediocre, you know, or people that, that don't execute or don't have great communication skills. And so if you can find one key member, they will almost always have a great executor and put somebody that'll have your best interest in mind uh, in the other, you know, whether you need a CPA, a real estate agent, a lender, an attorney, you name it, a contractor, right? They are going to surround themselves with people that are rock stars. And so um, finding the, the, the people and finding the lending is generally the two barriers. And so, uh, if you can kind of knock those over, the process is much easier. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, well, I got, uh, two answers to that question. Uh, the first one is uh, one big barrier is the down payment. I don't know how it was for you, Manny, but, um, a lot of people might look at it and be like, oh my gosh, you know, I got to put down. 10,000 plus closing costs. I got to, I need $15,000 just to even get started. I need this to even get started. Um, and you know, that compared to like 20% down is just monumental. It's a huge difference, but saving 15,000 or saving 10,000, I think is realistic for anybody. Two biggest factors is like, if you don't have the money and if you don't have the savings rate to get there right now, you can pick up extra work. Um, Maybe you pick up a second part-time job. Maybe you flip stuff from uh, garage sales on eBay. Uh, maybe you donate, like there's, you know, donate plasma. There's a bunch of different ways to like get that extra cash. You're going to trade a lot of time in the beginning just to get that first down payment. But you don't have to do that extra stuff once you get into that house hack because the savings rate is so high once you start house hacking. You can continue to do it and accelerate. You know, the point is there's there's a lot of ways to get that down payment. If you're not making enough money right now, if you don't have the cash on hand, you're just going to have to trade a lot of time if you're not prepared for it. Um, the second thing is people don't want to live with roommates. Um, that's a big excuse we hear all the time. And I think you had a really good point, Manny, earlier today. You know, you're at a point in your life where like house hacking is going to work right now. You know, when you're older, it might not make sense. It might not be as easy to do. Uh, you might maybe have a family. You might not want to live with people. Um, you know, there are options for families that want a house hack. You know, I always recommend a flat level duplex that's, you know, split down the middle just to increase privacy. Early in your life, you know, if you're young, how old are you, Manny? Uh, 28. Okay. I mean, it, you know, if you're young in your 20s, like, that's a great time to move into a house like you are, rent by the room, 
um, you're cash flowing. I mean, that's huge. If you had a wife and two kids and stuff like that, you wouldn't be able to get that deal. Um, you'd still be able to house hack, but you're not going to find as good of a deal like that. The point is like living with the roommates, you know, it might be a one year sacrifice. It might be a two year sacrifice, but sharing that space and having to deal with whatever that entails is by far worth it because it's going to really kickstart your real estate investing career. And keep in mind that you're the one picking the people that, that move in, you're picking the tenants. So make sure you're picking quality tenants and you're not going to have any issues. And and to your point, Drew, I really love the analogy uh, of the rocket ship. They say that 90 to 90, uh, 90 to 95% of the fuel on a rocket ship is exhausted during takeoff. Uh, and what that looks like, I'm no uh, rocket engineer, but you know, to a certain point, mm-hmm. the amount of fuel it takes to get the rocket off and launched is is you know uh, just exponential. Um, and so it probably took Manny and myself and Drew a really long time to scrape together cash when we were younger. You know, I know like for myself, I never held a high paying job. Um, so I mean, I, I was I had to be scrappy. I had to save every penny I could, um, you know, to, to get that, uh, you know, first down payment. And then the second, you know, down payment, it, it's challenging. But in Manny's case, you know, in theory, giving the fact that he's saving uh, or he's making about five hundred dollars a month right now on top of the $500 he used to be paying in rent, that's roughly $1,000. That means that roughly Manny will make $12,000 this year. He'll be able to, you know, he will be able to actually put in the bank account about $12,000 more than he could have last year, uh, plus whatever else he decides to save Mm -hmm. or whatever else additional money he makes. And you can see how, you know, it took him a, a while probably to get this down payment to buy the first house, but now it's probably in theory going to be a lot quicker and a lot, you know, faster and easier to to get the second down payment, you know, and then from there it just starts to snowball, and you know, and mm-hmm. it's kind of the same theory as the rocket ship. It takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of willpower, it takes a lot of sacrifice to kind of get that first down payment, and then you know, from uh, mile uh, one to two of the rocket, it's probably a lot less fuel, right? A lot less effort um, to kind of do because we've already gotten the initial uh, mile launched. Right. And then and then from two to three, it's kind of, ex, you know, expedited. And then at some point when you're making this money and you're probably starting to increase your income at your job or or whatever it is, uh, it's probably comes quicker and faster. And then you figure out creative financing and you, you start to raise money and, and people have sort of this limited belief. And it's always focused on uh, deal one, which is good for them. Right. But uh, if you can see the big picture that, man, it's going to take a lot of energy. But as soon as I get to here and I build uh, you know, a, a reputation, it's going to be a lot quicker, a lot faster, and it'll really happen for them. Um, and so I, we just like to hammer that down for people sometimes. Yeah. To Brad's point, like you're going to have, you know, an extra 12 K in your pocket there once you, uh, fill up the houses. So is that kind of your plan with FHA? You have to commit to it being your primary residence for one year. Are you planning to move out, get another property in the next year? Um, I think I'll give it a little bit more time than a year. Um, I was thinking two years minimum is what I'll do. Um, I have pretty big plans for this property um, once I do move out. So, yeah, I'm thinking I'm giving it two years, just make the proper updates I want and mm-hmm. so that I can keep my roommates for my next, my next house hack. Um, I don't want to, you know, bring them here, then <laughs> tell them, all right, time to leave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So for, for my roommate's sake, I think, and just because the plans I have and updates I'm making, I think two years minimum 
I plan on still doing house hacking and kind of just rolling out, rolling it out like that. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's a compound interest to it. I mean, like what Brad was talking about, uh, you see people talk about index or yeah, index funds, um, dividend paying stocks and all that stuff. And it shows this like graph that it's low, 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 and then just shoots right up after like 15 and 20 years. Real estate does the exact same thing. It pays you compound interest. Um, house hacking, you're saving, you know, your five hundred dollars in rent, you're cash flowing six hundred. Uh, you're gonna roll that into another property in two years, plus you're gaining the equity of this house over those two years. So I mean, everything is just compounding and compounding. And if you continue to roll it into another property and another property, I mean, you're just building wealth really fast that way. And that's the thing that, you know, not not to go down another rabbit hole, but that's the thing that people don't really talk about. Uh, well, they do talk about it, but maybe people don't think about it at first is that there are really four pillars of why people invest in real estate. Right. And we we know the cash flow. Right. We look at the cash flow like, you know, right now you're you're in theory uh, cash flowing about 800. Of course, you got to pay utilities and and, uh, you know, maintenance and things of that nature. So there's a little bit more, a little bit less than that, but still you're cash flowing. Um, but then there's, you know, tax benefits in, in, uh, depreciation is at the top of that, you know, the ability to depreciate a property while in theory it's appreciating. And in theory, you're making money from that asset, just like a dividend, uh, in the stock market, right? So you're extracting money through a dividend. Uh, the property is probably appreciating in value over time. Um, and, but then at the same time uh, to the IRS, you're actually, you know, they're allowing you to say that the property is going down in value. So you're creating the spread between appreciation and depreciation. You lower your taxable income, right? That's obviously a good thing. But over time, and it takes a little while for this to happen, but debt pay down, right? You talked about the people in the back paying off your mortgage for you. Well, in theory, that is absolutely correct, right? And so they are going to pay off the mortgage on this property. You aren't going to have to. And so maybe in a five-year scope, you know, that doesn't happen that much. But once you get past kind of year eight, it starts to dramatically increase how much you're, you know, how quickly you're paying this place off. And, and so you're, you're increasing that equity. Um, you know, that's a part of it. And so there's just a lot to real estate that I think, um, escapes our imagination originally. Mm -hmm. And if we can just, uh, you know, solely focus on the fact that, yeah, it takes a lot of fuel to get that rocket ship off the ground. But if we could scrape together, uh, that money, that over time, if we look at the graph like like Drew uh, illustrated, and and I know Drew's a very much a visual numbers guy, um, and so he loves graphs, he loves those images. If you if you put what one or two or three house hacks does to your uh, you know wealth building on a graph over time, and you give it thirty to fifty years, it's just absolutely dramatic. Yeah, especially you know you got the savings rate. That's gonna the savings rate in the cash flow is gonna get you a second property in two years. Yeah, like Brad said, in eight years, you know you got that equity build up. Well, now you can uh, do a cash out refinance. You can do something along those lines and that's leverage. That's going to get you another property. So, I mean, this house hack is going to get you a property in two years. It's going to get you a property in eight years and then all the cash flow, you know, it's going to get get you maybe another property in between those uh, two terms. Eventually, you're going to be at the point where you don't have to house hack if you don't want to. Um, putting 20% down on a property is going to be no big deal. Any other questions for us? Sure. Um, I mean, because I'm a part of your house hacking community, I kind of am interested in where this all is heading. I mean, I know you all are, you know, out to help everyday people, but I kind of am interested in what your brand has planned and 
where you guys are heading from here. So we started this. Um, we wanted to get to know people in the real estate industry. Uh, we wanted to educate people on house hacking because we think it's by far, hands down, the best strategy to get started. So this was starting as a form of like, it's going to force us to educate ourselves if we're going to have a podcast to talk about it. Um, and our guests are educating us too. Every time we bring someone on, uh, we learn something new. And um, I mean, that knowledge is just compounding for us, for us to apply in our life. And then we're going to bundle up that knowledge, you know, send it out to you guys. And, you know, we, uh, we kind of go crazy on Instagram. We post a lot on there. Uh, we got the course, we got the podcast. Um, so we're just trying to grow now our content and trying to expand as a brand. Um, growth on Instagram has been really good. We've gotten up to like, I think we're at like almost 34,000 followers and it's been like 14 months. Um, so we're going to start expanding to YouTube. We're going to start expanding to other content platforms and just get the word out about house hacking. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, our, our uh, very first podcast in the living room of my uh, five bedroom, one bed um, <laughs> uh, duplex at the time, you know, and, and kind of where that's come from. I mean, I think our, our original origins of this whole thing was literally just to meet some people in the state of Michigan where we were. Um, I mean, at least for myself, I, I didn't ever anticipate, you know, meeting and becoming friends with people across the country and across now, you know, the world. I mean, we get people from all over the place um, that, you know, that interact with us. And a lot of people I consider really good friends like Manny now, you know, and just building these friendships and introducing people to people. We get people all the time that'll ask us, hey, we're in Austin, Texas. Uh, who do you, you know, who do you recommend? And the very first yeah. person is Diego Corzo. You know, he's a absolutely amazing guy out there and an agent and he can connect you with whoever you need. And, and, you know, who, you know, in, in Florida, we, you know, and, and California and, and New York and, and, you know, the flyover, you know, just all these people we've connected with. And, and when people ask us, Hey, do you know anyone in this market? Uh, generally speaking, we know someone there and we can connect to that, connect with them. And wh what did we say earlier was the most important key to this whole thing is that rock stars hang with rock stars. And so if someone's, you know, listening to this in Austin, Texas, uh, you know, and they want to connect with Diego. Diego is going to know the contractors out there. Uh, Diego has obviously uh, one of the top CPAs because we've had her on the show and, and, and they're really good friends. And so he's going to connect you with her. And, and, you know, Diego has amazing lenders and Diego, ha you know, and, and no matter where you're at uh, there, you know, if you find somebody like that. And so that's what this community has become is just we we're able to connect people with people. Uh, and, and that's the lifeblood, you know, people real estate is a people's business, a relationship business. As you know, with your day job, you know, if you, if you guys aren't able to, uh, find great contractors and you, you're doing these fix and flips, uh, well, I mean, you can buy great, but if you get screwed over by contractors or contractors don't show up or you don't, you have to hold it for, you know, two or three times what your anticipated time was because whatever, you know, that kills deals. And so relationships are what matters. You know, and, and so if, if we have somebody listening uh, in Gary, Indiana, Manny, you know, because of his job and of course now he's 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 house hacking and all of this, uh, they can connect with Manny and Manny has these connections and that's what it's all about. And I think, uh, you know, from my vantage point, that's what this has always been about. Um, that's why we've done it. Um, you know, we want to help everyday people. My, you know, my theory, you know, and and I'm, uh, for people that don't know, I'm an agent, you know, and, and I help, uh, you know you know, ton of people get house hacked this year. It's that it's accessible to literally anyone, you know, and there was a time in my life that I didn't think real estate was 
accessible to me, much less anyone. You know, I thought it was a 20% down game. Uh, and even if you're only buying $100,000 properties, I mean, $20,000 when you're, uh, you know, early to mid 20 year old kid is that's a lot of money, you know, and that's something to where you think, man, I'll never be able to save $20,000, you know, at, at a, you know, 12 or $15 an hour job. But but there, it is available. There are a lot of zero percent down, you know, loans, or you can get sellers to pay uh, some of the closing costs. There's a lot of creative ways to get in this industry. You save the money. You get into, you know, you get into your first house hack, and then it, it you know, then it just starts to accelerate from there. Um, and so for me, that's my vision: is just connecting people across the country, and that's what it's always been uh, for for this show. And to Brad's point, um, so I mean, I have a list of like just notes on notes and we have a uh, shared one note me and brad of just goals long term short term tons and tons of goals more than we can even handle for this brand um but one of my goals like what brad is talking about connecting people across the country is within the next year i want to get a page on our website that is going to be able to like you go there okay i'm from michigan click on michigan and you're going to get a list of real estate uh agents and lenders but there's going to be a certain like vetting process to get on that page to where we want specifically investing friendly uh, agents and lenders that people can get connected with. So, you know, we got to work out the details on how we're going to get people uh, on that website, but there's definitely going to be a specific criteria to be an investor friendly. Well, if I could speak on that for a bit, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's, that's really awesome. And definitely um, yeah, I've seen that with being in real estate, like you said, it's a people business. Um, I would say, everyone who buys or lends to our property investment company is because we met them at a mastermind or, you know, some event and, you know, <laughs> become friends with them. And then from there, just the business becomes so much easier. Um, so no, I definitely appreciate that you all are kind of creating this community and uh, yeah, that's definitely probably the strongest thing in, in real estate um, is relationships. So that's really awesome. Maybe my next question, I guess, would be for you all individually, um, most difficult house hack. I don't know how many each of you have done, um, but maybe your most difficult house hack or maybe the most difficult thing about one of your house hacks, what it has been. For anyone that isn't familiar with, um, you know, my progression, my, my very first deal was not a house hack. I had no idea what house hacking was, uh, but I bought a property. Uh, I lost every penny, which um, honestly, I don't know what that dollar amount is, um, but it, it's definitely north of like 10 grand. And I was 21 years old. Um, and so 10 grand for a 21 year old is like a million dollars, you know, and uh, tenant got murdered. Um, we had a national kind of crisis in my area. Um, and long story short, I, I lost every penny. And um, a lot of people ask me now in retrospect, like, you know, how were you able to overcome that? I, honestly, I, I, ne I never thought about it. Uh, I just sort of moved on with the thought process that like I wasn't good enough and that I had to get around better people and figure out a better system. And so that was going to be a long term buy and hold. You know, I just bought it, did major rehab uh, and then put a tenant in there. And, um, you know, and then so from there, I just kind of progressed. I, I went into flipping houses and and then, uh, you know, I, I still to this day. Uh, have a W two job, and so I was uh, at my W two day, day job. I started this like book club. And we just would would read real estate books and and business books and things of that nature. And um and I, I read a Brandon Turner book, and I was in the middle of a flip, 
and uh, these flips, the margins were getting a little tougher and I was doing all the work and, and things of that nature. And he had mentioned uh, house hacking and in specific, he mentioned the 203K loan. And I mean, I had no idea uh, that either were out there. I had no idea people could get 3.5% down to live in a property, much less get a 3.5% down loan where they lent you, you know, 20, 30, 50, $100,000 on a property to do the rehab. And they would pay for that. And that was like mind blowing for me. And I'm like, man, like this is legit. And it was like the coolest thing I've ever heard. So, um, you know, got into that and, you know, it just kind of spiraled from there. But that first deal was uh, definitely challenging, man. And, you know, that's something that I like to reiterate to people that it's not going to be easy. Um, you know, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have a lot of difficulty. And I think the thing that I have also that I didn't uh, say in that last response to your question was that part of a community and a part of the reason that I bring uh, th- just my personality, I love bringing people around myself that are like-minded. Uh, I just, I just, I'm a collector of friends that, 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 that are unique and, and maybe in real estate or maybe not in real estate, but they're uniquely uh, into things. The reason that I um, drew, drew was working for me, by the way, at one of my properties. And that's how we met. And um, the, the thing that drew me to drew, and I had, I think asked him to, I don't know, do something, you know, just hang out or, or give me his number just to hang out and stuff. And he ended up starting work for me was that he was a professional bowler and he had quit his day job in the IT industry to go become a professional bowler. And I'm like, that is crazy. Like that, who does that? That's, that's <laughs> whack. Like he's got to be my friend. And that's just how I think. And so, um, you know, but the thing of that is, and the reason why I do that is that life is tough, man. Real estate is tough. And you're not going to, you're not going to withstand, um, you know, the ups and downs in this industry or in life, unless you cultivate, uh, you know, relationships with people around you to help you get through the tough times. And so part of this community is like, Hey man, let me be your friend. And when it becomes challenging, when it looks like things aren't going your way, like I'll be there, I'll tell you my bad story. I'll tell you why it's worth persevering. I'll tell you, you know, why it's worth seeing, you know, the rainbow after the storm, uh, instead of seeing how much bad things are going on through the storm. Um, so that's another part and aspect to it is just that, you know, yeah, you, you might lose 10 grand, but hopefully I can tell you why you, you, you know, shouldn't go down that route and why there's a better route, uh, you know, or maybe not even me, maybe, you know, if you're in Austin, Texas, or if you're in Gary, Indiana, or if you're in California, or if you're in, you know, most States, I can connect you with somebody that might be able to help you uh, you know, get through a storm because they've been through storms and they'll tell you why it's worth it in real estate. Yeah. So for me, not really a specific moment more. So every single time I've tried to find tenants, I end up frustrated and annoyed because you're going to get no showed. Like it's going to happen. You're going to schedule a showing and they're, you're never going to hear from them again. It's kind of like when you list something on Facebook marketplace and people go, is this still available? And then just ghost you. I mean, that, the same thing happens when trying to uh, rent out a unit. So what what I've learned is I've kind of developed a process that I like to use to where if I don't hear from them before the showing, I don't go because they didn't confirm. So I use um, a website called Calendly. Um, and on Calendly, you can schedule, you can put the times, like time slots that you're available So like I work a nine to five, so I'm not going to do a showing during my nine to five. So after five o'clock, I'm available. Well, I don't really want to do showings on, you know, Saturday night. Um, So I'm going to block off that time so they can't schedule on me. 
and then any other time slots that are open, they're going to be able to click on those, schedule a showing with you. You're going to get an email notification. They're going to get an email notification and they're going to get an email reminder from Calendly. So now when someone messages you, you're like, hey, uh, can I take a look at your property? You shoot them a link and go, here you go. You can schedule a showing on this website. But when they schedule the showing, you're going to have Calendly set up where there's a series of questions that you ask. Um, these are questions that are required for them to be able to rent from you. Like, do you make three times the uh, monthly rent? Uh, are you a smoker if you don't want smokers in there? So they have to answer no. Um, and then another thing that you're going to want is require them to put in a phone number. So when you, they submit that, you're going to get that form filled out. You're going to be able to see their criteria. And if they meet your criteria, great. Um, if they don't, you just cancel the showing. Sorry, you don't meet my criteria. If they meet your criteria, what you're going to want to do is you have that phone number. I would call them an hour before the showing. Say, hey, I just wanted to confirm the showing. Are you going to be there? They don't always answer. I mean, everyone gets spam calls all the time now. So leave them a voicemail. 30 minutes before, shoot them a text. If you don't hear from them, don't go. Don't go to the showing. I mean, if they can't respond to you and confirm, um, you're probably not going to want them as a tenant anyways. And if they show up without confirming, it, it's their problem at that point. Um, so that's going to kind of filter out who might be a bad tenant. And it's going to save you a lot of time, not wasting hours and hours going to these showings and getting no showed all the time. And then once you do get someone who does go to the showing, give them the application, let them fill it out. Uh, you're going to want to charge, you know, whatever X amount to be able to cover the background check and the credit check. But I wouldn't necessarily charge them immediately when they fill out the application. I would wait till they're approved and then charge because you're going to you're not going to get as many applications if you're charging right on the spot. Uh, people aren't going to like that immediately because they're probably looking at a ton of other properties and they're not going to want to spend three hundred dollars in applications. So go through the screening process, read their application. If it looks good, be like, hey, you're approved. Um, it's a forty dollar fee for the background check and credit check. And then you start moving forward. Manny, we appreciate you coming on. Um, it's been a thrill. We look forward to growing this relationship, whatever that looks like. Um, I mean, you got an you got an awesome day job where you get to see real estate transactions happen daily. And uh, would you agree to the to the uh, you know sort of thought that you know you and I probably have read a lot of books before we before we bought our first property. We probably listened to a lot of podcasts. Of course, you went through our course um, and and maybe others, but none of that compares to actually buying the deal and the the amount of confidence and learning that goes to it. Would you agree with that? 100%. Um, I've been working in real estate for five plus years now. And all the knowledge, while my company does push knowledge and all the books and all the podcasts and all the events I've been to, buying the first deal kind of <laughs> changes the whole thing. Changes the whole thing, man. And now, you, now your, uh, your knowledge accelerates, probably. Now that you bought the deal, you start to relate to things in your day job. Right. You're like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I see that or you start to learn differently. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. And that's why, uh, you know, from my vantage point, whether you win or you lose, take it from somebody who lost every penny that he had on his first deal. The first deal trumps it all. You learn so much. Um, you absolutely, you know, accelerate your learning. Um, and even if it's a, a mediocre or a bad deal, if you can internalize it in the right way, and, it, you know, if you're going through that, reach out to me because I can relate. But if you internalize it the right way, uh, it'll absolutely be the best thing that ever happened to you. And that's, you know, and that's my take. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Manny. I mean, we really look forward to hearing about your story, you know, how finding tenants goes. Um, we can't wait to hear about 
all the money that you're making once you're cash flowing with a uh, tenants full and can't wait to hear how everything goes with the next property. So we'll keep in touch. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on.